Hello, welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I'm your host, Nate Renly. My guest today, Brian Lynch. Welcome. Howdy. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your welcome with my howdy. We're both being so pleasant to each other. Yes, uh, that's quite all right. This is minute number 61. Our minute starts at one hour and finishes at one hour, 59 seconds. Which is nice. Yeah, it is really nice. And also... It's a it's it's a it's a real sign of like uh you know the craft of the movie that as I'm sure they already heard last week you know the 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 incident has happened now boom right at the one hour mark the incident is currently happening <laughs> it is it is this is a minute where we have to talk about uh even though very little happens apart from <laughs> Dave Batista asphyxiating is he choking I think what? yeah I think oh no he's not choking. <laughs> Got him. Got him. Dude. You see anything in there? No, because I I feel like he's... (laughs) That's right. The scene begins with Duke lying on the rug, hands on his neck, Claire asking, is he choking? That's not the tone she uses, but it's the tone I'm using. And it ends with Benoit taking whiskey and telling her to sit over here just so I can take... uh... (laughs) Just so that you're not laying all over the evidence. Dot, dot, dot. Yes. Um, All right. A a typically uh, caring and tactful way for Blanc to deal with something, which it's interesting because we've only had two movies to deal with him as a character, but like, you're, you're seeing these consistent aspects and a big thing is that he's very frequently will like be able to put people at their ease, but also get them out of his way. Yes. Uh, He's pragmatic. Yeah, he is. Very much. This is an interesting... Because he's acting different in this movie, too. But Mm -hmm. I would say that's a consistent trait. You know, maybe different things are happening, but at this point, you know, he's surprised at what's happening right now. He definitely is. You know, there's a certain degree of... Well, you know what? I'll I'll save this for when we. So, I'll t- I'll just tell the audience. You know, if you listen to Knives Out Minute, you've heard me uh, on the hosting side. But I um, you know, I almost said, uh, I'm not used to being on this side of the microphone. That's actually technically not true because I'm exactly in the same place I always am in relation to my actual microphone. But <laughs> I I don't have all the notes for what we do. But I was I was I almost accidentally just casually dropped a spoiler. But yeah. I know we're we're not supposed to, you know, in case anybody is listening to this podcast and watching the movie minute by minute for the first time, um, right? Which they which, are. Which it would be strange, but you know, I'm not going to judge your life. I've also not used to being on this side of the microphone. I'm usually on the standing behind it, and it sounds horrible. And I apologize for that. <laughs> Today, right in front of the microphone. There we go. Okay, so here's some key plot points. Uh, Duke, looking distressed i'd say mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of laying on the ground he's struggling he's doing the international sign for i'm choking uh which do do people do that involuntarily or it's a good question because it is like you know they they teach you if you're choking you do the both hands on the throat but also like i feel like if i was choking and i didn't know that then i probably would instinctively reach up and grab it so maybe you know that's that's where the where the international sign comes from is the mm. uh the natural instinct perhaps yeah right yeah um or maybe it was just that ingrained into me when i was in kindergarten or whenever they teach that to you right yeah it's just one of those 
what we'd call a transparent symbol, like mm-hmm. like the ASL sign for hat, where it's uh, like putting on a hat. <laughs> yes. So you can't really put on a hat without signing hat also. <laughs> Sometimes they are just pretty obvious. Yeah. So they're um, looking at it in his, his airway. Yes. One, one, one final thing. I've always oh. my fa- my favorite letter in sign language. Um, well, two of them are have always been uh, J and Z, um, oh. because they are literally just like writing the letters in the air with your hand. Mm. Um, which is like I feel I feel like they were like carefully planning out all of these others, and then when they got up to those two, they were just like, "Atlas." I mean, like, everybody knows what a Z looks like. Yeah. Plus, that's where Jay Z got his name. There you go. You say his name in sign language, you're you're having a fun little uh, experience. (laughs) That's delightful. So they look in in Duke's airway. Mm -hmm. I guess it's clear they're looking in his mouth. I don't know. He's moving around a lot. He's making a sound like this. I'm afraid Mr. Cody is is dead. Like Jabba the Hutt. He's he's, 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 Something that I have noticed about this movie, uh, which will, of course, continue throughout, is that he's having a blast. I mean, they all are. This this it, this seems like a fun movie to make. Yeah. Um, John, Johnson always has fantastic casts and they always seem to get along super well. <laughs> um, and so like he's like, this is this is maybe the most theatrical over the top choking you've ever seen. But boy, does it work. Right. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, it's like an improv of mm-hmm. a person choking. I don't want to impugn our heroes here. I think maybe they could do CPR or something. I mean, he's he's struggling, so now wouldn't like really be the right time, but mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was going well, you know, like so, after they say he's dead, that might mm-hmm. when he stops struggling, that might be a good time to do CPR. <laughs> it might be. It might be as somebody who is uh due to my job CPR certified. I was like there's technically nothing here that what the, it, none, none of it hits the realm of like this is when you should do CPR because it was clearly like a breathing issue. But also, it, it is entirely possible that I, if I were there, might do it just so that I felt like I was doing something. Right, and he does um, chest compe- compressions, uh, mm-hmm. which a lot of people I think uh, have, have gotten really excited about non mouth-to-mouth CPR, but that's not actually recommended in most cases. It's just to get more people to do CPR, but it's still at, better to do it. At our at our post-COVID trainings, they've always been like, okay, so the breathing thing. You don't really have to do that anymore. Really? <laughs> and then I was like, I feel like it was something they did. Well, because the main thing about CPR is it's uh, it's um if your heart stops. right, um, And so the, the chest compressions actually are the more important part because that's you're you're literally physically pumping their blood for them at that point. Um, yeah. So the breathing is like good because like you're trying to like you know keep everything moving, keep everything oxygenated and everything. But um, but yeah, no, I th- I think you know both because like he's he's like dead dead clearly that they could tell it was choking, and also just on a personal note, I feel like if somebody asked me to perform CPR on Dave Batista. I would say, like, you might as well just be asking me to, like, lean against a rock. Like, I don't think I can compress this man's chest. I think it is too strong for me. Too many muscles. That was his downfall. <laughs> that, was, that was always his downfall. That's a good point. Although, I do think in movies, people are really quick to be like, they're dead. <laughs> and, like, but whereas in the real world, 
without protocols, people will like bury people that are still alive. <laughs> so I feel like maybe not everyone's always the best at knowing when people are actually dead and you shouldn't even try doing CPR. Very accurate. Um, uh, but you know, got to wrap this up. This is a short movie. Yeah, hey, I mean, they were right. The, um, yeah, yeah, no, I was I was just imagining uh, Duke being buried in one of those like Victorian coffins where they run a little chain down and put a bell on the tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so that if he wakes up, he can ring the bell. And I, I guess hope that somebody's standing near the grave. Yeah. I've never really been clear how those were supposed to work, but I'm just going to assume they never did. It, they never like actually alerted people. It's probably like a rat would be ringing it. <laughs> right. Then they'd open it up and they'd be like... Oh, he's moving. Oh, it's the rat inside him. I am just looking. I'm just doing some real quick on the air research, which somebody who uh, listens to any of my shows would know that I love doing. Uh, safety coffins. Uh, wow. Still available today. Oh, good. I am finding uh, yet yeah, on my very quick research. I'm finding no accounts of them ever actually working. Hmm. Excuse me. Oh, like to save a life. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, no, I'm sure. Well, no. going off. <laughs> well, actually, I can tell you right now, Dr. Adolf Gutsmuth was um, a creator of them uh, and as a way of selling them, had himself buried alive several times. According to this, in 1882, he stayed underground for several hours and ate a meal consisting of soup, bratwurst, marzipan, sauerkraut, spetzel, beer, and um, print, print, hold on, Prinzregententorte. <laughs> Um, which that coffin must have smelled fantastic by the time he was done. Yeah, if you make that all is, that stuff for me, I'll I'll climb into a cask. That is an that is an eight layer buttercream cake. <laughs> um, so this is going to be a gray area. Mm -hmm. uh, if this is a spoiler, feel free to cut it out. But I <laughs> I do feel like when this is revealed, people aren't going to come back to this. So I'm just going to say some things about mm -hmm. some things. Sure. I don't know why. I don't know what I'm thinking about. I just, I just, it seems like Duke is dead. And uh, here's, here's some of uh, the allergies of, um, the, or some of the symptoms of a pineapple allergy. Mm. Uh, localized itching. Okay. Hives. It's not a spoiler because he's allergic to pineapple. He doesn't dance with pineapple, as he said, which I think <laughs> is a very uh, casual way of saying this, but mouth and throat irritation asthma anaphylaxis mm -hmm. rare ah very rarely does pineapple allergy result in more severe symptoms such as anaphylaxis oh okay so so most likely um uh, he was listen, poisoned if there's one thing saying. to say that the um yes the killer who i will not identify at this point although again i i'm positive everybody but you know you got to respect the 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 system yeah. um uh, notably at several points in the film and in the backstory of the film gets very lucky with certain things. Yeah. There, one of my favorite episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine to bring up another um, thing is there's one episode that's just called The Box and it's just Jake and Captain Holt interrogating a suspect and Jake winds up badgering him into confessing by acting like he got lucky every step of the way and the guy's vanity gets the better of him and he, you know, was like, no, I, I did it all, you know, and this is the reverse of that, where it's, you know, um, it's supposed to look super elegant, but it's just dumb luck the entire time. That's why I wanted to bring it up. It's if you wanted to, uh, you know, make someone else dead <laughs> in the moment, this might not be the best, like, safest mm -hmm. plan. Because anaphylaxis 
can occur within minutes, but it mostly occurs within 20 minutes to two hours. So not crazy that you'd be able to say something, you know, a few things, not just like immediately uh, yeah. die like this. I, but it does uh, say if... Hmm. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Difficulty breathing, rapid heart rate, loss of consciousness, and a drop in blood pressure. Even with all those things, I feel like CPR would still be appropriate. <laughs> I have a very minor uh, shellfish allergy. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, as I was telling you before we started recording, I, I attended my sister's wedding this weekend. And um, boy, she had some shrimps there that just looked real good. <laughs> um, and so I was just kind of like, if I have one, immediately chase it with the other appetizers and take a drink right after. I can have this shrimp. Um, and um, yeah, listen, it's not the most you know pleasant way to consume an appetizer coldly, clinically, and trying to get it done with as quickly as possible. However, it was a very delicious shrimp. So... Worth it. You didn't uh, eat any of my crawfish, did you? That was <laughs> no. my plate. I wrote my name on my plate, so it's my, my plate, obviously. This is actually, by the way, because I don't usually like seafood in general. So a wedding is actually how I found out about, because um, I was at a wedding in uh, uh, Cape Cod. And so all of the appetizers were shellfish. And I was mm. like, and I picked up a bacon wrapped scallop and I smelled it. I was like, eh, you know what? Went in Rome and I popped in. I was like, oh my God, that's delicious. And I had like five more of them. And then like a minute later, I was like, why is my mouth itchy? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, turns out my uh, my distaste for seafood was secretly keeping me safe the entire time. However, notably, I did not fall on the ground and act like I was choking and, uh, you know, cause uh, my girlfriend, Madeline Klein, to start freaking out over my corpse. <gasps> Duke! Maybe like, I, mean, for, me. I mean, for one thing, she was probably like 10 at the time, so. <laughs> um... She is, by the oh, yeah. way, little side note, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the cast uh, a little more further. Uh, she is very good in this. This is the uh, the first thing I've ever seen her, her in besides that. Um, uh, she, she was on Stranger Things for like one episode. Oh, okay. But my, uh, my students keep trying to get me to watch Outer Banks. And uh, so, yeah, but, but when you're looking at the cast list and uh, for something like this and you see like huge star, huge star, huge star, huge star, and then somebody that you're like only vaguely aware of, there's always a little wonder like, how's this person going to do, you know, surrounded by all these people that the audience is going to look at on a different level. Uh, and she, she does fantastic. I think she's great in this movie. Yeah. Everyone's got a lot of charisma and mm -hmm. draws you to looking at them, which can really make or break a film mm -hmm. like this where everyone's just hanging out until someone dies or whatever. Well, yeah, exactly. By the way, <laughs> everyone seems all the characters here seem really surprised they yes. all seem surprised everybody Except does for andy which, who's not there everybody seems surprised which i think has to mean that none of them are guilty i'm a very good detective case closed case closed it's probably just uh you know i just he was just gonna die anyway natural causes <laughs> there you go so there's a lot of screaming uh benoit says what happened did he did he choke what happened there was no obstruction in his airways but we won't know the exact cause of death without an autopsy. But Not true, but in this case, but but technically that would be true. So yeah. <laughs> Until I figure it out at the end. Yeah, you know, already figured out. It's just like the other one. When I was talking about the most famous person in an ensemble cast, I always think of a stage production of The Best Man that was on Broadway a few years ago. It was Angela Lansbury and James Earl Jones and Candace Bergen and John Larroquette and Michael McKean, and I always wonder like. How do their understudies feel when they have to go on? 
when the audience is expecting a stage full of nothing but the hugest stars in theater history. And then there's also, you know, Jeff, the guy that usually plays the bellboy. Nobody knows. There's this one guy, I don't have his name right now, and he was not in the production I just talked about. There's one guy who's been James Earl Jones understudy like four times. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, you know, that I I guess I guess James Earl Jones must trust him because like the last time Driving Miss Daisy was on Broadway, for instance, it was uh James Earl Jones and um uh I want to say Vanessa Redgrave, but you know, I was like either one of them, like it's if it's James Earl Jones and Vanessa Redgrave and the audience is expecting both of them, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of pressure if you're not one of those two people. Is that like that uh that white guy that does Eddie Murphy in all the animated movies? Oh, uh oh hold on. Oh man, I used to know that guy's name. But yeah, that guy was like I'm playing Shrek the video game and I'm like, the donkey sounds a little off and I think I know why. So so each uh sometimes we like to <laughs> sometimes on this podcast we like to highlight aspects of the film and i thought we could talk a little bit about the cinematography today in this minute real great close-up on choking batista um yeah like a point of view from mm -hmm. from uh benoit yeah because he's like leaning over close and so you i feel like uh, i was just reading something about how like when sound movies were developed they stopped doing close-ups and uh you know obviously that didn't last all the way through the modern era that would be insane um, but you can get a lot of stuff out of a close-up. And when you watch this in retrospect, knowing what Duke knows, there's some really interesting stuff going on. And who knows how much of that is Kuleshov effect and we're just reading it into, you know, what Batista is doing. But I don't know. I mean, I think he's a good actor. So if if he didn't have his hands on his throat, the international mm -hmm. signal for choking, he could have pointed at who who was the criminal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Right. Even with no words. <laughs> that one right there. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe. He well, then, on the other hand, we all saw uh, Knives Out and we know that doesn't necessarily always work out or else Hugh did this would have kind of solved the entire. Yeah. He could situation. have told us Hugh did it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then the camera cuts over and Chris Evans is hiding behind one of the glass sculptures. Why do... You got why... me again this time, Blanc. <laughs> so wh why do you keep doing this? It's like, that is bad grammar. <laughs> Oh, listen, Duke's not the brightest guy around. Yeah. So yeah. so it's like a point of view shot of Batista mm. choking, but also then it cuts to Benoit, but he's not upside down. So I feel like it's not a point of view from from his point of yeah. you know, perspective, which I think would have kind of cool. It would have been distracting, I guess. I did notice that when they do the reaction shots of everybody else, it's notably from low angles. Right. So they're kind of keeping the audience, you know, mentally speaking, down on the ground. Subjective filmmaking. We got we got we got a lot of close-ups to show the intensity and the confusion, the camera's moving. Mm -hmm. It really sells it. That's it all I really got to does. say about cinematography. Yes. And I'll but, just actually uh oh, no, you first. <laughs> uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that uh since well, um he's uh, dead now, we probably won't have a chance to talk about it later. Uh among the cast, I actually had Batista as the least likely one to die. Uh, when the when the trailer comes out and and the question sort of goes around like just based on who's who and the comparative level of fame, who do you think is going to be the killer and who do you think is going to be the victim? I didn't have him on either of those lists. Oh, I thought I thought I thought Hudson was going to be the uh, victim because hmm. um, she got a um, I, th I believe she got the end, and I was like, ah, that's you know you know they do the actor 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 and actor. Well, we don't know he's been murdered yet. All we know is he died in a freak. <laughs> choking on on liquid accident i mean we know we're watching a murder mystery 
That's true. <laughs> and um, actually, Benoit also knows he's watching a murder mystery, and Andy also knows she's in a murder mystery. So now they just have to figure out which other person knows they're in a murder mystery, and the problem is solved. Hmm. That's yeah. true. That's I meta. knew it as well, because I was uh, at home watching it. <laughs> um, did you see this film in the cinema during its one uh, week of release? I did. I uh, I love that Ryan Johnson was able to bully them into giving this movie an actual release. Yeah. And I... Um, uh, I, it was literally, um, I was, I was in the process of, uh, directing, um, the, uh, the fall play at the school, um, which is a, it's, it's a real busy time in my life, of course, every single year. Uh, and this year it was particularly crazy because the students have been begging for years to do a horror play. Mm-hmm. And I kept telling them, I said, guys, like I can't do horror plays in middle school because every single horror play either has like three people in the cast (laughs) and I'm not going to be able to get away with that. Or it's wildly inappropriate (laughs) uh, Mm. for your grade level, or it would require a special effects budget of like $3 million. Uh, But then I finally found one that worked out. I was like, great, we'll do a horror play. But boy, if you thought 13 year olds were emotional basket cases under normal circumstances, you put them in a situation where you're like they've got to act frightened and intense the entire time and it's it's really gonna hit them so like it was a wild and so this thanksgiving weekend comes up and i'm like i'm gonna go see a movie and i have got one chance uh to see a movie and then this comes out in theaters and i'm like yes okay the the stars have aligned well i i guess that's the end of this uh this minute uh what, what do you have to plug Thank, oh, uh, I uh, oh, thank you for having me. It's very nice. Oh gosh, yes, I do get to plug, don't I? I have actually uh, two shows. So I'll do. Uh, I'll, I'll go back and forth between them in the plug section. Um, okay. My uh, my primary, uh, which is uh, currently, although I'm not sure when this episode is going to be posted, uh, currently on a bit of hiatus as we build up an episode backlog so that we can have a nice regular release schedule, uh, is uh, Tinseltown, the holiday movie podcast where we review. Uh, any movies uh, that are um, set during uh, on the holidays that we would refer to as the holiday season. So uh, Thanksgiving to New Year's, uh, obviously mostly Christmas because of the way the Hollywood works. Um, but we're able to find a few nice things on either end and even a couple of weird outliers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Paul Blart Mall Cop is a Black Friday movie, for instance. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. I got a rotating, uh, series of, uh, co-hosts. So we get like a big range of different voices. A lot of my co-hosts specialize in certain things. Like I got, uh, one who specializes in horror movies, one in rom-coms, etc. Hmm. And, uh, so yeah, we have a lot of fun and, uh, we're trying to build up a, uh, a 25 movie playlist the, uh, which we call the new holiday canon, uh, the, the 25 Christmas movies, uh, or any holiday, uh, do do we, have, we don't have a New Year's movie now, but we do have planes, trains, and automobiles on there for Thanksgiving. Um, awesome. Right. Uh, that you can, uh, you know, just sort of uh, watch the entire time. And we go for some acknowledged classics, uh, some unappreciated classic. You ever see Rare Exports? No. It's a Finnish pseudo-horror movie uh, about a kid who uh, finds Santa in a wolf trap. Um, and, well, things go from there. <laughs> All right, we'll check out what's it called, Tinseltown. Tinseltown, the holiday movie podcast. The holiday movie podcast. Uh, th- this show is called Glass Onion Minute, a Knives Out podcast or something. And uh, I, you can find just, us at our Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I know we're doing the wrap up, but by the way, 
freaking Netflix, like just call the movie Glass Onion. Like Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery is a terrible title. Call it Knives Out 2, Too Many Murders. Call it Knives In, I don't know. Um, <laughs> or at the very least, Glass Onion, a Benoit Blanc mystery, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, but uh, so I don't blame you for stumbling over the <laughs> title of this. It's an awkward title specifically created to reference another awkward title, so. And then, uh, yeah, check out our Twitter at Glass Onion Min, which is all one word. And it's men like minute, not men like we're the Glass Onion Men. Give us your money. And, uh, oh, and I guess I can plug my own stuff. I don't really do that much anymore, but uh, but you can check out my office podcast called The Off Five with a V. And uh, that's that's about that. So we're going to say goodbye now. Uh, and, and Brian, would you please come back tomorrow to record more of this podcast? I fully intend to. Oh, thank God. <laughs> goodbye.